Would you all get on your knees and let's intercede for Anthony right now? Man drinks too much coffee. Are you kidding me? I thought I was jacked up. Well, good morning, church. I want to welcome all of our uh, church family and people from around the country and the world that watch online. Welcome uh, the Church of the Savior. So grateful to see you. My name is Bill Reeser. I'm the pastor of Encounter, and uh, we have a, a critical message, I believe, tonight. We've been doing a series at Encounter, actually this morning, a series at Encounter, How to Recover from 2020. We've been talking about how to recover when your life falls apart, how to recover from generational curses, how to recover from a secular society and a changing world, how to recover from fear and anxiety, how how to recover from listening to the wrong voices. And uh, we we did that message a few weeks ago, and that's that's what we're going to teach this morning, how to recover from listening to the wrong voices. Uh, So if you have your Bibles, uh, go to 2 Kings chapter 18 and 19. We're going to work through these passages And God's going to give us a great message, I believe, this morning. Because as as I was studying for the message several weeks ago and for this morning on Sunday, God revealed to me uh, a great strategic battle plan from both ends of the spectrum. First of all, the battle plan, tricks, schemes, and strategies of how the enemy speaks to us, how he taunts us, and, and the things that he does to trick us into listening to him. And to always play his game and to always get duped into doing what he tells us to do. And then God is going to teach us a specific strategy of how to respond to that, of how not to listen to the wrong voices. And he's going to outline in detail through the scriptures. And as I was praying it, it's really clear in the scriptures, uh, these two battle plans, one, the enemies to take us out and two, God's antidote, which is always the way to go. So again, if, uh, if you're going to need your Bibles, uh, go to Second Kings. It's right after First Kings. It's after, actually after Samuel, right before Chronicles. Go about a quarter of your way uh, into the Bible. And uh, let's see if we can grab some insight and get things going. If we start out, it says, in the third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. Verse 3, he did right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. So he comes from good lineage. He removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones, cut down the Asherah poles, broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses had made up. For up to that time, the Israelites had been burning incense to it. It says this about Hezekiah. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord and did not cease to follow him. He kept the commands the the Lord had given Moses, and the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. From watchtower to fortified city, he defeated the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory. Now, right after this, just like this, in the next four to six years, Israel does what it normally does. It turns its back on God, starts following idols, disregards all of God's commands, and judgment is coming upon the nation of Israel. Verse 12, this happened because they had not obeyed the Lord their God, but had violated the covenant. All that Moses, the servant, the Lord commanded 
they neither listened to the commands nor carried them out. And in the 14th year of King Hezekiah's reign, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, attacked all the fortified cities of Judah and he captured them. So here's what we have. We have a, there are good kings and there are bad kings. Hezekiah was a good king. Wasn't a perfect king. He made some mistakes. And you're going to see some of those mistakes in this story because he doesn't respond well to this eminent attack on Judah that the Assyrians are just basically at his doorstep now. I mean, it is a pretty dire situation. But again, there are good kings and there are bad kings. He really, it was, the Bible says there's no king like him because he took down all these, he took down all these idols. I, I love that, that part where he's talking about he removed the high places. He broke into pieces the bronze snake that Moses had. If you go back to the Old Testament, Numbers 21.4, the Israelites were grumbling, go figure, and complaining. And so what what God did, God sent snakes to bite them. If you complained, you got bit by a snake and you died. And so the remedy was God told Moses to get a a staff and build a bronze snake. And whoever got bit looked at the snake and they got healed. It was amazing. I mean, that's what you call the perfect vaccination shot right there. Okay, that worked. The problem is after years upon years, they sort of turned that into an idol. And uh, Charles Stanley said this, when we take something made to be good, such as a bronze serpent uh, that Moses made and turn it into something vile, it's time to get rid of it entirely. So that's sort of the pretext and what we have here. And as we, as we work our way through the scriptures, and we got a lot of scriptures to work through, you're going to see how to identify the tactics and the tactical lies and the voice of the enemy. So here's verse 14. That is Hezekiah's first mistake. So Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent this message. He starts dialoguing with the enemy. He sent this message to the king of Assyria. He said, I have done wrong. Withdraw from me and I'll pay whatever you demand of me. The king of of Assyria exacted from Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. So Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the temple of the Lord and in the treasuries of the royal palace. He also stripped off the gold with which he had covered the doors and doorposts of the temple of the Lord and gave it to the king of Assyria. Now, Sennacherib sees this as a moment of weakness because he thinks he's got the whole thing. He's going to wipe them out. And now he sees Hezekiah, what appears to be a sign of weakness. He's going in for the kill. And verse 17, the king of Assyria sent his supreme commander, his chief officer, and his field commander with a large army. That's to intimidate him. So here's what happens. Verse 19, the field commander said to them, tell Hezekiah, this is what the great king of Assyria says. On what are you basing this confidence of yours on? I just want to tell you this morning that the enemy will always ask you questions about your faith. Whenever you get hit with a false report, a trial, just something traumatic in your life, he's always going to ask you questions about your faith. And the first question 
that he asked him is this, on what are you basing this confidence of yours in verse 19? And the enemy is always asking us about our confidence in the Lord. Whenever we get hit with that medical report, whenever someone goes crazy on us, they walk out on us, whatever the case may be, the enemy is always speaking to you and saying, what's your confidence? What's this confidence you're basing this on? And he says, you say you have strength, strategy and military strength, but you speak only empty words. And here's the, comes the second one. On whom are you depending? Question number two. He didn't say, what are you depending on? On whom are you depending? I mean, it's just the enemy speaking to Hezekiah. And this is how the enemy speaks to us. Whenever we face hard trials, we're always hearing the back of our heads, on whom are you depending? Because a lot of us go to other places first before we go to God. And if those questions don't work, tactic number one, we'll see it right here. He goes on to say this. He goes, look now, you are depending on Egypt, that splinted reed of a staff, which pierces a man's hands and wounds. If he leans on it, such is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who depend on him. Verse 22 And if you say to me, we are depending on the Lord our God, isn't he the one whose high places and altars Hezekiah removed, saying to Judah and Jerusalem, you must worship before this altar in Jerusalem? So that's tactic number one. The enemy will get you talking to him. If you say to me, he's always trying to dupe us and trick us into this dialogue with him. If you say to me, don't ever, ever talk to the enemy. If you say to me, because when that happens, you can expect a lie to come next. Here's tactic number two, verse 23. Come now, make a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria. I'll give you 2,000 horses if you can put riders on them. How can you repulse one officer of the least of my master's officials, even though you are depending on Egypt for... That's tactic number two. The enemy will always get you to bargain with him. Never bargain with the enemy. Never negotiate with the enemy. Never listen to his plea deals, ever. You never negotiate, you never bargain with the enemy. Now, verse 25. Furthermore, now mind you, this is, the, this is an enemy of God. This is, not, this is not a man of God. These are all lies. Furthermore, have I come to attack and destroy this place without word from the Lord? The Lord himself told me to march against this country and destroy it. I studied that scripture about 20 years ago, and I've got written in my Bible, the devil is a liar. He's a liar. And that's tactic number three. The old, the Lord tell me to, told me to tell you lie. You ever have that happen to you? Someone comes up to you and says, the Lord told me to tell you something. And you knew it was a lie. Now, I believe in prophecy. I believe that there are real uh, men of God, women of God who have the gift of prophecy. And I've had people prophesy over my life. And it's come to pass. But I've also had false prophets uh, in, in my life. And it's... And, you know, God gives us discernment to always know whether you're dealing with a false prophet or 
a true prophet and a true man of God. Matter of fact, the apostle Paul said this. He said, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, masquerading as apostles of Christ. He's talking about the church. And no wonder for Satan who masquerades as an angel of light, it is not surprising then if his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness. Second Corinthians 11 so interesting, when I first got saved, uh, me and Carolyn took a trip to Gatlinburg, which is really strange if you're a guy from New York like me to go to Gatlinburg. And we went to one of these timeshare deals where you, st- you get to stay in a place for three days if you listen to a timeshare presentation. And I, I knew we weren't going to buy anything, but we, we, we got with this guy and uh, we sat through a presentation. He said, uh, well, you're going to buy that timeshare, aren't you? And I said, no, nope, I don't make a decision Uh, without consulting the Lord first. And the guy said, well, the Lord told me you need to buy that timeshare. And I said, well, that's funny because the Lord didn't tell me that. You must be a snake oil salesman. I mean, it's amazing what people will say. And, uh, but God gives us discernment to always know when a person of God is speaking into your life. Now let's go to tactic number four. Go to 2 Kings 18. Uh, Go to verse 30. It says this. Uh, Verse 28, hear the word of the great king of Assyria. This is what the king says. Do not let Hezekiah deceive you. He cannot deliver you from my hand. Do not let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in the Lord. So that's tactic number four. I mean, it's right from the words of scripture. Do you see it? Do not be persuaded to trust in the Lord. You know, when the wrong voices are speaking to you, They're always telling you, don't go to God first. Don't go to church. Don't listen to the pastor. Don't go to prayer. Don't get in his presence. Don't trust in God. Don't be persuaded to trust God. God can't fix this medical report. God can't fix this marriage. God can't fix this stuff for you. Go to your normal go-to places. He says, don't let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in the Lord. In other words, tactic number five. Don't listen to a man of God. Don't let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in the Lord. Do not listen to a man of God. The enemy's always giving us avenues and people to talk to so that we never listen to the right voices. Tactic number six coming up. Again, do not listen to King Hezekiah. This is what the king of Assyria says. Make peace with me and come out to me. Make peace with me, and come out to me. You get a, when the enemy's, you know that you're in trouble when the enemy's inviting you to make peace with me. Watch this stuff, it won't kill you. Go have that conversation with that person, it won't hurt your marriage. Go have a drink, take the edge off. It's not, it's not gonna lead to something destructive. You see, he's always getting us to take the detour, the easy way out. He's never giving us the God way out. And he's always persuading us to make a deal. Just a little deal will get you in so much trouble. You, you leave a little crack in the door, that's all he needs to come in, destroy, and wreck your life. So never make peace. Never negotiate. Never plea bargain with the enemy of your soul. So if we go down to verses 33 and 35, all this is, He's just rambling. Do not listen to Hezekiah again. 
For he is misleading you when he says the Lord will deliver us. Has the God of any nation ever delivered his land from the hand of the king of Assyria? We are the gods. Where are the gods of Hamath and, and Arpit? Where are the gods of Sepharvaim, Hena, and Iva? Have they rescued Samaria from my hand? Who of all the gods of these countries have been able to save this land from me? How can the Lord deliver Jerusalem from my hand? How can the Lord? So what he's saying is, it's just a bunch of talking points. And if you let the enemy talk enough, he'll give you a ton of talking points, right? rambling, 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 and just telling lie after lie after lie. We live in a society today that all we do is listen to talking points. And we don't know what's right, wrong, up or down. And it's, it's, these are crazy times that we're living in. So there are a lot of other things that the enemy does to trick us up and take us out. But just in those short verses, those are just a simple, detailed, strategic, demonic, evil battle plan to take us out that so many of us get caught into that trap. So from here on out, God revealed, God is going to reveal to us how to respond to the enemy's tactics and lies. Are you with me? Okay. Stay with me. Verse 36. But the people remained silent and said nothing in reply because the king had commanded them, do not answer. Do not answer. This is so important. And that was a good call from King Hezekiah. Never respond back when the enemy speaks to you. Never respond back. Listen, you don't ever talk to the enemy. You rebuke the enemy. You take authority over the enemy. You tell him to shut up, get behind you, and you take authority over him. You never let him dictate the conversation. You have power and dominion over the enemy of your soul. The problem is we don't realize the authority that we have, and we're always letting him set the agenda. Never respond back to when the enemy speaks to you. The people remain silent. Watch what King Hezekiah does next. Chapter 19, verse 1. When King Hezekiah heard this, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and went into the temple of the Lord. He rushed himself into the presence of God. See, a lot of us are rushing ourselves into social media, into our network of people. Oh, do you hear what happened to me today? But the last place we run to is into the presence of God. King Hezekiah rushes himself into the temple of the Lord. And that's the first place we have to run when the enemy is taunting us with the wrong voices. We need to rush ourselves into the presence of God. And I love this. And here's what he does when he goes into the presence of God. He goes into the temple. He sent for Isaiah, a real prophet, a man you never wanted to mess with. Here is a true prophet. He heard from God. He walked with God. He talked with God. And when he spoke for God, you knew that it was the Lord God Almighty speaking every single time. He goes on to say, 
They told him, this is what they told Isaiah, this is what Hezekiah says. This is the day of distress and rebuke and disgrace as when children come to the point of birth and there's no strength to deliver them. It may be that the the Lord your God will hear all the words of the field commander whom his master, the king of Assyria, sent to ridicule the living God and that he will rebuke him for the words the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, pray for the remnant that still survives. That's number four. Always pray for the remnant. So interesting that that's put right in the middle of this story. You see, the prayers of the few will always suffice for the many. You see, remnants are so important. You want to be a part of a remnant. See, a remnant in the Old Testament was so important because God always had to protect the remnant because out of that remnant will come the lineage of Jesus Christ, the birth of Christ. Now, there's a remnant There are always remnants today that are praying for revival, for the second coming of Jesus Christ. You want to be part of that remnant. Remnants are so important. Things may seem crazy out there in the world, but know this. There's a remnant of God's people praying, and the prayers of the few will always suffice for the many. So what is a remnant? The Anchor Bible Dictionary describes it as what is left of a community after it undergoes a catastrophe. And I love the fact that we're in a church that believes in the power of prayer, that there are remnants of people praying, our prayer ministry, people that pray for every single seat here on Sunday before you sit down, every single seat is prayed over before you come here. And I'm so grateful that we serve a prayer answering God that still answers prayers today because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? Okay, go to verse 6 or 7. When King Hezekiah's officials came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, tell your master, this is what the Lord says. Fasten your seatbelts. Do not be afraid. That's how you know it's God speaking. See, when the enemy speaks to you, he'll always say, you have reason to be afraid. When God speaks to you, it's always do not fear. Do not be afraid. I'm in control. I'm big enough to handle this situation. When the enemy speaks to you, is you have good reason to be afraid. This is not going to go well for you. This is a disaster. And all of a sudden, you start thinking, it's not, this is not a good situation. This is a disaster. You start repeating what the enemy's told you. But when God speaks, always never fear. Do not be afraid. And I love that. He says, never be afraid afraid. And so, he says, never be afraid of what you heard. Those words, which are the underlings of the king of Assyria, have blasphemed me. Listen, I'm going to put such a, this is God speaking, I'm going to put such a spirit in him that when he hears a certain report, he's given you a report, but when he hears a report, he's going to return to his own country, and there I'm going to have him cut down with the sword. So what happens after that? is King Sennacherib sends another report in the form of a letter to Hezekiah, and he says this, do not let the God you depend on deceive you when he says Jerusalem will not be handed over to the king of Assyria. Surely you have heard what the king of Assyria has done to all the countries, destroying them completely, and you will be delivered. Did the gods of the nations that were destroyed by my forefathers deliver them? 
He's just going on and on and on again. So listen, never be afraid of a false report. And then six, you can expect additional false reports before the Lord moves. Even after God speaks into your situation, sometimes things get worse before they get better. But again, it's just a false report. And you have to believe, listen, some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. I'm going to trust and pray and wait for the Lord who always has the final say, no matter how bleak or dire the situation. Amen? Come on, are you with me? All right. So, here we go. Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. And then he went up to the temple of the Lord. And here's what he does. And I love this. He spreads out the letter before God. He spreads out that false report. He spreads out that letter before God. And then he starts praying this prayer. And that's so important. You see, you have to take that false report into God's presence and spread it out before the Lord. You have to go to God in prayer and spread it out before the Lord. That's what God wants you to do. And in a little while, we're going to have an opportunity to come to this altar and whatever false report, whatever voices are speaking to you, you're going to have an opportunity to spread it out before the Lord. You're going to have that opportunity. So he prays this prayer. And there's just something in this prayer. He comes boldly to the throne of God where you'll find mercy and grace to help you in your time of need. And I want you to see something in this prayer. And it's a great model prayer for all of us. I believe it's one of the most powerful prayers in the Bible. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. He says, oh Lord, God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God. Just those four words. Some of us have to start our prayers with those four words. You alone are God. By declaring that, we're saying, no one can match your power, God. I'm not comparing anything to you. No one can match your majesty, your power, and your ability to come through in my situation. You alone are God. There will never be a God like you. I will never follow any other little Gs. I only follow the big G. That's you, Lord God, King of Israel, King of my heart, Lord Jesus Christ, the chief commander that is in charge of everything. That's who we follow. We got to say, you alone are God. Sometimes we go, Lord, do you see what's going on? Do you see what they're saying to me? Do you see what the situation is? We just have to say, Lord, you alone are God. That's how we have to start our prayers. You alone are God. Now watch what he does next after that. He says, you alone are God. Over all the kingdoms of the earth, you made heaven and earth. Give ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to the words of Sennacherib that he has sent to insult the living God. Verse 17, it is true, O Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste to these nations and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they were not gods, but only wood and stone fashioned by men's hands. Now, O Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand so that all the kingdoms on earth may know that you alone are God. So two things right there. Number 10, what he does with God is he states the facts when he prays. He's stating the facts. It's so important when we go to God in prayer to always be specific when we pray. 
Now, a lot of us, we go to God and we just run to God. We know we're in a tight situation. We know we're in trouble and we just go to God and we never give him the details. We just say, oh Lord, you know, you know my heart. But we don't tell him what's going on. God needs to hear from us specifically what's going on. It's okay to talk things out with him. It's okay to give him all the details. And it's okay to give a detailed request of how you want him to answer that prayer. So always state the facts when you pray. And then in that prayer, he says, oh, Lord. He says, deliver us from his hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are God. It's not a selfish prayer. It's a prayer that says, I want you to answer my prayer in such a way that everyone around me will know that you alone are God so that they'll come to faith in Christ, so that they'll surrender their life, so that my whole family who's listening to the wrong voices are going to surrender and submit and give their lives to Jesus Christ. Answer my prayers so that everyone in my world will submit to Jesus Christ. That's what he's praying right there. You alone. Answer in such a way. Show up and show off. Do both if you have to, because that's what God does. Okay, where are we? Verse 20, then Isaiah sent a message to Hezekiah. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I have heard your prayer. I have heard your prayer concerning Sennacherib, the king of Assyria. And this is the word that the Lord has spoken to him. And that's number 12. Listen, don't ever let false prophets dissuade, discourage, or damage your faith so much so that when a real prophet does speak to you, so that you can hear from a true man of God, so that you can hear from a true person of God. Now, I've always said God's looking for good fruit, not religious nuts, okay? We need, and God wants to give you the discernment to always know when a man of God or a woman of God is speaking to you. And never be discouraged if, if someone has approached you because I really believe in the gift of prophets. I'm saying it again. We need, we need prophets. And I'm going to be talking about that more in, in a few minutes. So here's his response. And here's God's response. The virgin daughter of Zion despises you and mocks you. The daughter of Jerusalem tosses her head as you flee. Who is it that you have insulted and blasphemed? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes in pride? Against the Holy One of Israel. Verse 25. Have you not heard long ago? I ordained it. In the days of old, I planned it. Now I have brought it to pass that you have turned fortified cities into piles of stone. The people drained of power, are dismayed and put to shame. They are like plants in the field, like tender green shoots, like grass sprouting on the roof, scorched before it grows up. What, what God is saying there is, I planned, I did, this wasn't your doing of overtaking Israel. I allowed this to happen because of Israel's disobedience, and they're turning their backs on me. I allowed this to happen. But obviously, you can't see that, and now you've angered me. Now you've got me aggravated. You never want to get God aggravated, because here's what he says. He says, but I know where you stay and when you come and go and how you rage against me. And because you rage against me and your insolence has reached my ears, I'm going to put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth. And I'll make, and I will make you return by the way you came. See, many of us, we allow the devil to put his hook and bit in our nose and our mouth 
and we're just being pulled around by all the voices and all these lies. And God says, you come to me first. God says, you trust in me. He goes, I'll put the hook in him and I'll take him out. Some battles are reserved just for him. Amen. So here we go. He goes, once more, verse 30, a remnant of the house of Judah will take root below and bear fruit above. See, the remnant will always rise up as overcomers. Don't miss that. The remnant will always rise up as overcomers. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Verse 32, this is what the Lord says concerning the king of Assyria. He will not enter the city or shoot an arrow here. He will not come before its shield or build a siege ramp against it. By the way, he came, he will return. He will not enter the city, declares the Lord. I will defend this city and save it for my sake and the sake of David, my servant. Now watch this. That night, an angel of the Lord. Angel of the Lord appeared many times in the Old Testament. Some Bible scholars believe it's Jesus Christ. But you never wanted to mess with the angel of the Lord. That night, an angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 men in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, they were all dead bodies. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew, and he returned to Nineveh, go figure, of all places, and stayed there. When he got to Nineveh, his own sons chopped his head off and killed him. His own sons chopped his head off and killed him. So here's the deal. Number 14, prayer is more powerful than atomic bombs. Prayer is more powerful than atomic bombs. 74 years ago, the United States dropped the first of two atomic bombs on the Japanese city of Hiroshima, killing more than 70,000 people instantly. A second bomb followed three days later over Nagasaki and killed 40,000 more. That is 110,000 people killed by two atomic bombs. Now, my math is not good, but if I add that up, one prayer from King Hezekiah dispatched one angel of the Lord that wiped out 185,000 soldiers. And if my math is correct, one prayer was more powerful than two atomic bombs. One prayer was more powerful than two atomic bombs. So listen, let's fast forward to today. Aren't you excited about 2020 and 2021? Come on now. How to recover from listening to the wrong voices. You know, one of the things that concerned me was the fact that so many people, when I'm not even going to say it because I hate the word, coronavirus, just don't like it. One of the things when the virus hit this week, this week, I was in New York City this week last year, was that so many people started listening to the wrong voices. We heard stuff we never heard until 2020. The nation changed. The news changed. Our culture changed. The church changed. Christians changed. We heard things that made me cringe every time I heard it. You know, people would just concede because they don't really know what's going on. Oh, it is what it is. It just is what it is. That's what it is. It is what it is. I was amazed at what people were believing. There were so many crazy, there were talking points that we just heard about. Someone would get up in the morning, I don't know, four or five in the morning, get on a news station, a thousand people would say the same thing for the rest of the day, just talking points. And while our previous president coined the phrase, I don't think it wasn't 
wasn't until last year that the country finally realized the truth behind the phrase, the fake news media. The fake news media went into overdrive to distort the truth, distort the facts, suppress the truth, and spin it. That's the way they do it. They spin it so you only see their point of view. One of the tools that they use was sound bites. You know what a sound bite is? They don't take the whole conversation or the whole quote. They just take something you said and they use it against you where it doesn't really reflect what you were really saying. The enemy does that to us. And to be fair, both left and right were doing the same things. They only want you to hear what they want you to hear. In 2020, we were introduced to something new. They cancel culture, or is it new? Words like unity now mean if you don't agree with me and my values, you got to be canceled out, deprogrammed by the cancel culture that seeks to silence you, eliminate you, and take you out if you listen and believe any other voice but ours. That's what unity means to them. So many people listening to the wrong voices. Whatever news station you tuned into every single day, every single day, they would tell you the number of cases and the number of people that have died just from COVID. Does anybody believe those numbers? They're not true. Matter of fact, if you studied the CDC website, go, go to the CDC, they'll tell you 6% of all those numbers really just passed away from just COVID. And we mourn those, which is really the same mortality rate of the previous years before last year. It's crazy. And so we just think just because the news is reporting it, it has to be true. But how do you know it's true? How do I know what anyone from TV, social media, major news, cable networks are saying is true? How do I know if the masks really work? First, they say you don't need them. Then you got to wear them. Then they said not to wear them. Now they say you need two, possibly seven. Someone asked Rabbi Fauci, how many masks should I wear? Seven? He said, no, 70 times seven. That's what he said. I, I, I mean, who knows what they're saying? First they say, you know, now they got to swab you there. They're swabbing you at different places now. You know, I'm not going there. See, I don't really trust any of the so-called experts because I don't know what motivates them to say what they say. I don't know if it's politically driven. I don't know if it's science driven or fact driven. How do I know if a pastor's telling me what he's telling me is true since most of them will maybe quote a scripture in a 30-minute talk? How do I know if that's true? How do I know it's a lie? How do I know it's truth? How do I know it's from God? How do I know it's from Satan? How do I know it's from this world? And how do I know what's from me? What's coming from my flesh? And when all those voices speak to me, and they do, how do I decipher and discern where they're all coming from? And I want to tell you today, you can know the voice of God. You can know how to discern which voice is speaking to you. God gives us that ability. He says, my sheep hear my voice. God is speaking to us. He's saying, knock, knock, for so many of you are on TikTok. Get off of it. Get off social media. Shut it down so you can listen to God. I have reached a point that the only reliable source of truth left in this world is God's word, my father in heaven, my savior Jesus Christ, my personal advisor, counselor, comforter, and personal interpreter of truth, my Holy Spirit who guides me in truth. Those are my reliable guides. 
My trust is not in the United States government. It's not in a political party. My trust is not in a candidate, not in a president, never has, never will be. My trust is in the name above all names, Jesus Christ, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And by the way, the distortion of truth, the suppression of truth, the fake news of truth, the sound bites of never telling the whole story of truth, the talking points that everyone has rehearsed to make you believe their truth, the flat out straight up lying and deception, the cancel culture that wants to eliminate the exchanging of different points of view, but cancel you out because you have a different point of view. These are not new to society. This is not a new thing. Satan has been using these strategies for years. All you have to do is go back to the garden. Look at the four lies in the garden. Devil shows up. Did God really say that? I won't kill you. You can be just like God. And you can know right from wrong. In other words, you can have your own moral code. Because we live in a society today that doubts the word of God that is ignorant of eternal consequences that awaits them, that thinks they know better than God and wants to create their own moral code without accountability and consequences. But we're the remnant, and we won't stand for it. But I got news for you. They're coming to a Christian, and they're coming to a church near you. And this is not a Republican or Democrat issue. This is a demonic sin issue. Just know that. And my concern is that people are so gullible People are asleep at the wheel like Jonah. Our city, our nation, the body of Christ. It is what it is. The church is in one big stupor. My friend David Snyder said this. You can grow up in a church as a committed follower of Christ, being continually discipled, be active in ministry and service, and never know how to recognize the voice of God. What a shame to go through life and never hear God speak to you. God is speaking to us today, and God wants to speak to you, and he wants to silence all the other voices. In my quiet time with the Lord over the past few months, I clearly heard the voice of God that said, Bill, be on the lookout for the following things to come. There's a coming judgment, there's a coming revival, and there's the coming back of Jesus. I'm not claiming to be a prophet, I'm not, or an expert, even an expert on prophecies, but I'm studying prophecy right now. But I don't have to be an expert to know that we're in end times. And things are going to get crazy in the end. I heard from a pastor, Jack Hibbs, about a month ago that said, prophecies are not in the Bible to scare us, but prepare us. And I truly believe believe we're living in the last days. What a great time for the church to shine. What a great time for the church to stand up for truth. The church shouldn't be silent. We should be the number one voice ringing out truth to a lost and dying generation. What a great time for the remnant to be overcomers. See, I'm confident in saying this because there's always a remnant praying for the glory of God to show up. So the best way that I can help you to recover from listening to the wrong voices is invite you to be a part of the remnant that faithfully follows God, that faithfully prays to God, that faithfully gets into God's presence, that faithfully hears the voice of God. You can hear God's voice. It can happen today. But you got to get in God's presence. you got to run to the temple. Thank you for coming to church today. You ran to the temple today. 
Thank you for doing that. But you got to get in God's presence. You got to get in God's word. You got to ask for the baptism of the Holy Spirit because you need all of the Holy Spirit and all of his gifts to have that discerning spirit to hear the voice of God. You have to shut down the noise. You have to take your thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. You have to be still and know that he is God. You have to take the time to be in communion with God. There is nothing to keep you from listening to the voice of God but you. You're the only one standing in the way. So if you want to get close to God, you got to learn how to run errands for the Holy Spirit. And if you want to run errands for the Holy Spirit, you got to know how to hear the voice of God. To hear the voice of God, everything starts at salvation. Everything starts. And when that happens, when you really get saved, gratitude and grace become the motivation that compels you to live a life of faith and obedience as your natural response to what Jesus has done for you. When grace and gratitude compel you to live out God's truth and you're willing to believe and receive and live out that truth, then the Holy Spirit will bless you, cover you, hover you, hem you in with his blessings. And the journey of living out that truth is defined, don't miss this, by your devotion to prayer and being in his presence. Your devotion to prayer is intertwined to your devotion to Scripture. So you got to become a student of God's Word. you got to love this book. you got to make this book the authority over your life. And when you make this book the authority over your life, which means you let this book have the final say over all matters in your life, over all your circumstances, your dreams, your wishes, your emotions, your past, present, and future, your entire life, the more you're going to hear the voice of God. Now listen, to know God's voice, it really is to know that word. All we did was open up scripture and let him speak to us. Listen, I'm not that smart. I just let God speak to you. That's why I use a lot of scripture, because God's a lot smarter than I am. Now considering where we are as a culture, this is not the most popular way to live your life. I get a lot of people come to me and say, Bill, you're real intense with Bible stuff. Because I've spent a lot of years listening to the wrong voices. And I love the voice of God. I love the presence of God. And we need to recover from listening to those wrong voices. This is how you get God to step into your Egypt and fight your battles for you. So we're going to transition a little bit. we do something a little different. If you're home, watching, online, we're going to take communion together. And uh, we're going to do communion a little differently today. Now, a lot of times when we take communion, it's always a time of reflection. It's a time of self-examination. It's a time where we just reflect on what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And that's all true. But I would add something to that that I think we need to always do as, as, as a body, as, as a body of believers, as a body of Christ is that in addition to reflection and self-examination, it should be a time of proclamation. We're not proclaiming things enough as the body of Christ. We're not declaring things enough as the body of Christ. So as you take the elements, I want to share an odd scripture out of Revelation 12, 9 through 11, which says this, this great dragon the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world was thrown down to the earth with all of his angels. And then I heard a loud voice shouting, here comes the proclamation across the heavens. It has come at last, salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. Don't miss those four things. 
salvation, power, kingdom, and authority. That's what happens at salvation. For the accuser, the one always speaking to us, the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth and the one who accuses them before our God day and night. But they have defeated him, watch this, by the blood that we're going to take in just a second. And their testimony. See, a lot of people think testimony when they read that. That's their life story. No, it's what you pray. It's what you declare. It's what you speak out loud. It's what you're taking authority over. And the fact that they lived their lives so much that they were, they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. In other words, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And I, what, one of the things that bothered me so much when this pandemic hit was so many Christians were afraid to die. And we mourn those who have passed away. But if you're saved, you don't fear dying. Listen, COVID's not taking Bill Reeser out. When Jesus Christ calls me, my number's up and I'll be glad to go home. But COVID ain't taking me out. Cancer ain't taking me out. You know, nasty Nancy driving in Versailles, knocking me over, ain't going to take me out. When Jesus Christ calls me home, that's when I go home. But until I'm here, for every day that I have, I'm going to glorify my king. I ain't afraid to die. So here it is. You need these four things established in your life. You need salvation that comes from Jesus, power that comes from the Holy Spirit. You need the kingdom of God that comes from the Father. Jesus said the kingdom of God is near you and it's within you. And you need authority that comes from your inheritance. Those things happen at salvation. He says when you have those things established, then you can defeat the enemy with the blood, with your testimony, with your assurance of salvation. So let's do that. Let's declare that as we take the elements together, as we take the body as we take this bread that represents the body of Jesus, here's what we're proclaiming. Lord, your body was broken so you can put the broken pieces of my life back together. And I'm, and I'm thankful. And I thank you every day for the sacrifice you made on that cross. I thank you that I've got salvation. I've got power. I'm a kingdom representative. I belong to the kingdom of God and with that I have authority. Thank you for what you did to me. And I reflect on the great sacrifice you made to make all that possible for me. Let's eat together. Then he took the cup, which represented his blood. And his power in the blood. Most of us never, never declare what the blood, test, that we never testify what the blood has done for us. And when I take communion, I'm grateful for the blood. I'm grateful for the blood that was shed so I can overcome the voices of the enemy, so I can have victory so that my sins are forgiven, so I don't have to walk around with guilt and shame and regret all my life. I'm free because of this blood. Jesus, thank you for your blood.
So here's the deal. Who wants to recover from listening to the wrong voices? Who wants to hear from God tonight? Who has a false report that you need to spread out before the Lord? Who has some Sennacheribs telling you lies? And who needs to be a part of the remnant that overcomes? So here's the deal. Everything starts at salvation. If you've never, ever surrendered your life to Jesus Christ and said, I want that. The enemy's having a heyday on me, Bill. Pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I invite you into my life. I recognize that I've let you down many, many times. And I I need your forgiveness today. And I'm asking for forgiveness for all my sins as I turn from my sins and I turn to you. Thank you for forgiving me. Now fill me with your Holy Spirit. Shut down the voices in my life so that your voice is the only voice that I hear. Give me the grace and the power to live the rest of my life for you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, we got names, people that we're praying for. Whatever report you have, I want you to lay it out before God. God wants to meet you here today. The altar is open. Let's worship.
Before we go, today is March 7th. Would have been my, uh, would have been my mother's birthday today. When I got saved, and, and I was born again, I knew it was the greatest news in the world, ever. My sins were forgiven. My name was written in a book never to be erased. I was going to heaven. I had peace. God loves me. I made it, my life's ministry mission verse is Acts twenty twenty four. My life is worth nothing to me. So I finished the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus Christ, the work of telling others about the wonderful grace of God. I made it my life's mission still to this day to tell everyone I come across about the wonderful grace of God through Jesus Christ. I, I love witnessing the people. God's given me the grace to lead many in a prayer to receive Jesus Christ. But I couldn't wait to call my family in New York because I was living in Kentucky I called my family. They weren't so happy with the news. My mother got mad at me when I talked to her about being born again. Hung up on me. She didn't want any of this nonsense about being born again. She thought I lost my mind. Thought I joined some hee-haw cult living in Kentucky or something. But I would never receive that false report. I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. And God called me to the ministry. And before he called me to the ministry, I actually went to a pastor's conference in New York City at Times Square Church. I don't have time to get into the whole story, but I went to church that Sunday. My mom just got diagnosed with cancer. We didn't know how serious it was. It was bone cancer. We were going to put her in, in a hospital up there. And uh, she, uh, I went to a service that Sunday, and I grabbed about 15 of my friends from that church I said, would you pray that today with me, that today would be the day that my mom give her life to Christ. Today. And we locked arms and we prayed. And I'm telling you, while they were praying, I was saying, if there's a God in heaven, he has heard this prayer because today is the day she's giving her life to Christ. And I drove upstate to meet her. 
haven't seen her in a long time. And I, I just knew she was going to get saved that day. Got to my sister's house. My mom came out. She goes, that you, Bill? I said, yeah. She looked at me and her first words were, Bill, how can I get closer to God? Fifteen minutes later, she gave her life to Jesus Christ. I baptized her right in my sister's basement. I poured a bucket of water over her head just to make sure. No, but let me tell you something. She, she went into the hospital four months, struggling with bone cancer. God healed her of her bone cancer. But she came down with a virus, a flu bug, that she didn't have the strength to beat. And God decided to take her home. But for the last four months of her life, all she wanted her son to do was stand by her bed and read scriptures to her and pray with her every day. I want to tell you today, if you have a person that doesn't know Jesus Christ, we have this wall. We're spreading out these prayer requests. Fill up this wall. There's people in your life that you know. Let's trust God to answer those prayers. If you need to pray with someone or if you've accepted Christ and prayed that prayer, come see me. And just thank you again for being here this morning. Walk out quietly as some of us are still going to do business with God. God bless you. Then sings my soul.